welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning again, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, it's wonderful to worship with you at our new time at 9 a.m. And even after the time change, it's kind of weird getting up as it's dark out and, uh, and getting here. Although I guess it would have been light by the time you all got here, too, which is great. But it's nice to see frost on the ground, colors changing on the leaves. It's just a beautiful change of season. And with the change of season, yeah, I'm reminded that like we are in a new season, too, as a church, that being in this space, starting new programs, it really is a season of change. And I'm so grateful for where God has us this morning. So let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, I was remembering back to a few years ago, uh, and I was studying in school. Some people do Latin, uh, you know, but I did this weird language called Ugaritic. Uh, and when I was studying Ugaritic, they had these really cool old tablets on stone that kind of used chopsticks to, to write the letters. And uh, one, of the, one of the students asked the professor in class, you know, why is it that so many tablets have been saved and preserved from Ugaritic or Akkadian, which is like ancient Babylonian and Assyrian. But, but why is it that those are preserved and we don't really have any Bible scrolls? Like, where's all the Bible? Um, from like, let's say, just before the exile. So maybe 600 years before Jesus. And the answer that my professor explained to the student was that the material was different. The material that the Bible was written on versus these materials. If a city is going to be destroyed uh, in war or by fire, there are certain materials that preserve well in a fire and certain ones that don't. And so what happens is when you have things written on clay, when there's fire, they get preserved. If things are on papyrus or leather or some kind of animal skin, they tend not to be preserved. And so, of course, the scriptures are preserved for us. It was the tireless work of, you know, hundreds of scribes over the centuries. But the actual physical objects of the scriptures that were written down, you know, were, were the physical objects themselves. The oldest ones we have are like 2000 years old. So think about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, by contrast, Ugaritic texts, those clay tablets are actually 1200 years older than that. So think, you know, we, we've talked before about Joshua. Like, think about the conquest period, the time of Joshua. There are Ugaritic tablets that are that old. Um, and so when I think about Ugaritic tablets, I think about the importance of using materials that are going to stand the test of time and thinking about what's going to preserve. I guess there is a sort of hiccup in the analogy because as one student tried to clean off one of these tablets with water, they soon discovered Water doesn't clean clay very well, and uh, the tablet is gone forever. But, you know, if something is meant to last, it has to be made out of the right materials. 
And so in our passage this morning in the book of Hebrews, the author is setting up this contrast. And the contrast is with things that are earthly, temporary, shakable, with the things of God's kingdom, which are eternal, heavenly, and unshakable. He sets up the contrast in light of those who are either tempted to walk away from Jesus uh, because of the challenges to their faith. And things have gotten too hard. Or some may have just grown apathetic. Like it's just not a priority. But that's the person he's addressing. So like much of Hebrews, uh, this passage offers a warning. And it also offers an encouragement. Both of those things are present. And when we're tempted to give up, when we're tempted to find ourselves growing apathetic, the author is encouraging us as well. And he's encouraging us to press more deeply into the communion of saints. To look for God's kingdom amidst those things around us that are earthly and temporary. As we talked about before in the book of Hebrews, there was a group of people. They had a Jewish background and they started following Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. And as a result, for some reason, things had turned out differently than they had expected because of following Jesus. Maybe that initial excitement about following Jesus was gone. Um, Or wearing off and maybe they were tempted to think, you know, there's better things I can do with my time than be with God's people. Perhaps it became difficult to follow Jesus because the communities that they had been a part of, they now are facing persecution from or at least isolation from these communities that were like once near and dear to them, maybe even family. And the writer of this letter is really writing a long sermon. You can think of the book of Hebrews as one long exposition. And what he's writing about, he's reminding them of what they have been brought into in Jesus the Messiah. So over the last several months, we've been walking with this author through the book of Hebrews. And a lot of his arguments depend really heavily on the Old Testament. And we saw how Jesus was greater than Moses. And how Jesus was the mediator of the new covenant. And that he's a great high priest over the household of God. And then last week we spent time digging into some of the implications socially uh, and for the church of Jesus being the high priest. And how God is building a community of faith, of hope, and of love. And if you missed last week's sermon, I want to encourage you, go to the sermons page of the website. It's under the media tab for now. Um, And you can go back and listen to it. There are some really important applications in there about building the church. And one of the things that I talked about specifically was connecting with others in the church to pray for them during the week. Um, And then as you're praying for them during the week, even thinking about going one step further and saying, hey, let's grab coffee sometime next week. Let's go for lunch. Let's do a play date, whatever it is. But connecting with others for the, the sake of provoking one uh, to love and good deeds in community. And so that comes to the author's thesis, which I talked about last week, which is come and worship. That's really his thesis in Hebrews, come and worship. And the community of Jesus is necessary for our growth and our relationship with Jesus. There are times when I know we can't get together and, and that might be for health reasons, being on vacation, the pandemic, Um, There there are lots of reasons why we can't, but being in the presence of one another is that foundational space for provoking one another to love and good deeds. And so we make it a priority. In today's passage, the author is reminding us of why we endure through faith, uh, in the faith, through a description 
of heavenly worship. We have entered the heavenly realm today. And what, what is the point of following Jesus, right? If things did not turn out the way that we expected them to, that's the question that some of the, the recipients are asking as they get this letter. That question, you know, what is the point of following Jesus when things didn't turn out as we expected them to? That's a deep question because it touches on the deepest conceptions of what you and I believe about what the good life is and what flourishing looks like. And similar to last week's admonition to come and worship, I think that what the author is encouraging us with this morning is that when you and I might be tempted to give up, to set it aside, when we find ourselves maybe growing apathetic, the answer is not to isolate from other people. It's not to walk away from the faith. Instead, what it is, is to press more deeply into the communion of saints, saints, both throughout time, but also here and now, like present local community to look for God's kingdom in it amidst all the things that are around us that are temporary. It helps us ask the question, what here is going to last? What here is going to last? So verses 18 through 24 this morning, the author reminds his readers of a very important scene again in the Old Testament. Back in Exodus 19, God had descended on Mount Sinai in fire and in smoke. And the people trembled, and they were told that neither they nor the animals could go near that mountain to touch it. There was thunder, there was lightning, there were sounds like trumpets, and they were growing louder and louder and louder. The sounds were so terrifying that even Moses, uh, it says, was afraid as he entered up into the presence of God. And in that setting, God is still good. Even at Sinai, as terrifying as it is, God is still good. Um, And Sinai is good. That's a good event. But the emphasis in Sinai is on the otherness of God. God is other than what these people are. God is unapproachable because of his holiness. That's the point of Sinai in this passage. The frightening visual imagery of Sinai, it begins to fade away in the reality of Mount Zion. And that's where our author is going. Mount Zion had originally been this Jebusite, Canaanite people's stronghold captured by King David, where he brought the Ark of God in 2 Samuel 6.2. And then it comes to take on a fuller meaning. When you get to Psalms um, in Psalm 49, uh, 47, 9, and in Psalm 86, 1 through 7, it talks about God laying the foundations of Jerusalem at Zion. So it has this salvation historical significance beyond just the Jebusite stronghold. And Mount Zion is contrasted here with Sinai. And instead of showing the unapproachability of God, it shows the approachability of God to those who have been made holy under a better covenant. So at Sinai, the imagery of blazing fire and darkness and terror are all fading away in the light of Zion. With God's presence there, the living God, the God of the heavenly Jerusalem, the sounds of the whirlwinds and the trumpets are starting to be quieted and stilled. And instead, in their place, we see innumerable angels singing and festal gathering together, along with the assembly of the saints who have gone before us. It's good news. And so the church is where we come into God's presence with all of the saints and the angels of God around us. And we hear that talked about each week in our Eucharist liturgy together. The gathering of worship 
that we do together in the church is a taste of the gathering and worship in the age to come. And it's made possible by our one mediator, Jesus Christ, who has purified us with his blood. So good worship is good because it reflects the reality of heaven and the heavenly Jerusalem. You and I need a fresh vision of what heaven looks like and what the heavenly Jerusalem looks like because you and I are going to face challenges here on the earth. And worship shows us who God is and then it reorients us to who we are in God's grace. And as we grow deeper into adoring the mysteries of God, what worship does is it resituates us and our hearts in the challenges that you and I are facing in light of God's saving work that we get to hear through God's people and the things that we pray and worship. And in those places where we are disobedient or perhaps apathetic, worship calls us into repentance, to changing our lives, to amendment of life. And then it encourages us in the places that we feel weak. We can have a tendency, I think, to pull away from people when challenges to our faith happen. And the writer here is saying, don't pull away from people. Instead, it encourages us to press into the family of God where we will be changed. Just like other passages in the book of Hebrews, we get to verse 25 and he encourages Christians not to refuse the one who is speaking. He's referring to God there. That actually ties together a lot that's happening in the book of Hebrews. If you go all the way back to chapter one, it said God spoke many times and in many ways. But now he is speaking through his son, the speech of God, the word of God. And then later, chapters three and four, the writer encourages them not to harden their hearts. As in the day of rebellion, when they hear God's voice, a reference to Psalm 95, the speech of God, the word of God is a major theme in the book. And so in verse 25 of chapter 12, we should hear that and the alarm bell should be going off. We're being signaled again to the voice of God that's speaking. He's talking about the voice of Jesus, which he says the voice of, of, of the, the blood of Jesus cries out with a greater voice than Abel's. Right? Remember Abel being killed by his brother Cain in the book of Genesis. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. But Jesus' blood cries out for mercy and grace to be given to God's people. So if the word of God is being spoken to us, we shouldn't harden our hearts. Sometimes it's going to feel like there are 101 reasons to leave the church. But... Those reasons shouldn't be counted. They should be weighed. And at the end of the day, the weightiest matter is our road back to God. Not the temporary conflicts that we're going to have. Not the disappointments that we're going to be experiencing. Sometimes as a result of people in the church. There was a really good article this week. I would encourage you to read it. It came out in Christianity Today from Reverend Tish Warren, who is a priest in the Anglican Church in North America in another diocese. And she wrote this great article called The Church Needs Reformation, Not Deconstruction. So deconstruction, you may hear the term ex-evangelical. Those have become buzzwords in our culture. Uh, and what she points out is that people who are deconstructing need love and listening ears probably more than they just need cognitive argument about the faith. I appreciate that there are five points that she brings up um, for those who are questioning whether they're and they're questioning not just whether or not they need the church. They're questioning whether or not they even need faith in Christ at all. So first, what she says is that people should distinguish between deconstruction 
and reformation. If, if someone has become frustrated and then they speak out because the church isn't living up to, to the biblical vision of living in community, then that's just calling the church back to the gospel rather than deconstruction. Second, she encourages people to avoid inadvertently centering white Western voices. That's a helpful corrective. Often when, uh, she says, often when white Christians deconstruct their faith due to racism and injustice in the church, they don't then learn from or join black, Latino, or immigrant churches. There are a lot of Christians of color who have a rich legacy of being both committed to orthodoxy and to justice. And then third, recognize how people are beginning to monetize deconstruction. Uh, and then avoid gimmicks uh, with that and manipulation. And finally, she encourages people to engage with the strongest version of an argument and not straw men. Which is pretty much the way that it, straw men is how people argue on social media, right? So she's encouraging us not to do that. And I think she's right. She says many of those who most vocally deconstruct Christianity jettison a thin version of American fundamentalism and mistake it for the entire tradition. There's a lot in the Christian tradition that we need uh, and in the church that we need. And she does a great job of helping us understand reconstruction uh, and reformation versus deconstruction. So maybe this morning you're not tempted to deconstruct your faith. Praise God. Um, Maybe some of you are, but if you're not, you know, there are ways that we are all tempted to disregard the voice of God and to harden our hearts towards the voice of God when he calls us to obedience. Maybe it's a deep sense that you and I need to talk about Jesus in a conversation with somebody or that we need to start talking about Jesus at all. Maybe it's entering into a challenging conflict. Maybe it's changing our spiritual habits. Whatever it is, there's a role for the community in it. And it can be tempting for us to avoid the things that are really difficult, especially with conflict. But let's not refuse the one who is speaking. Let's press more deeply into the communion of saints so that we can look for the the things of God's kingdom that are eternal amidst the things that are temporary and changing. So the conclusion of the author in this passage, verses 28 and 29, is twofold. First, let's be grateful. Let's be grateful for being given a heavenly kingdom that cannot be shaken. And second, let's offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. So if we spend our days and our weeks only giving our thoughts and our time and our attention to those things that are temporary, that we are enslaved to the tyranny of the urgent, then our gratitude doesn't produce the kind of offering of worship that's imagined here. Is our worship of God informed by the gratitude of our heart that's seeking the kingdom of heaven? Or is it busied with the frenetic pace of things that are only temporary? That's been a challenge for me this week. Um, Do we look for the things that are going to last? So since gratitude is already built into this season, in the next couple weeks, I want us to take time to step back a little bit. I know that the year end is busy for all of us. And so as you think about this next season, carve out time. Make it a new habit. Maybe daily. Maybe sometime during the week. You carve out time to be grateful. To ask God where those things are that are unshakable, where the reality of the kingdom is present in those things that are actually shakable. 
And as you write those down, make a habit of giving thanks to him for them. So as an example of this, I have, uh, we were thinking back to when we bought a house. This year we bought a house in Springfield. That's, that's where we've been since January. And when I think back to buying a house, there were a lot of challenges getting up to that point. Uh, navigating our life with a little one, doing the work of church planting, trying to figure out how to get to where we're going to go. And then if you've bought a house, you know there's like the financial piece, all the home inspection stuff, all that stuff uh, we had to navigate. And, and that house, though, is going to likely stand a lot longer than any of us are going to live in it, right? And it was there before we were there. And the objects that we fill that house with are temporary objects. Uh, they're going to be gone too. But they matter. Um, they're not just things that are temporary. Despite them being temporary, I was thinking back over the last eight weeks and what's been happening in our house. We've been able to have several of you over for dinner over the last eight weeks for this formation group that we've been looking at the Anglican uh, way. And those temporary things and this house that will last longer than we will uh, created a space for a community to pray and to cultivate relationships that are going to have an eternal impact on our walk with Jesus. So in that temporariness, there is heavenly reality. So let's cultivate gratitude for God's eternal kingdom amidst things that are temporary, that are shakable. Gratitude for the unshakable things of the kingdom creates space for acceptable worship. And that's because we're not distracted when we're focusing on the unshakable things around us. We're not distracted with um, because we, we reframe with eternal significance the things that are around us, the things that we're going through. And we're living into that new life that Christ has made possible for us. So when we're tempted to give up, when we find ourselves growing apathetic, let's not pull away from community. Let's do what this writer is telling us to do. Look for the things that really last. Let's press into community, into the communion of saints, and come and worship and look for God's kingdom amidst the things that are temporary and shakable. Let me pray for us. Guide and direct us, O Lord, always and everywhere with your holy light, that we may discern with clear vision your presence among us and partake with worthy intention of your divine mysteries. We ask this for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.